welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. All right. Well, welcome back, or howdy, as we say here in Texas. Welcome back to Reed Smith's Arbitral Insights Podcast. My name is Daniel Avila. I'm part of the Reed Smith's International Arbitration Team and Latin American Business Teams. I'm currently the chair of the Houston Bar Association International Law Section and the communications officer for the America's Initiative of the ITA. And that in the America's Initiative is where I met our wonderful guest today, Megan Paget-Brown. And by way of introduction, Megan is the co-founder and CEO of the Cayman International Arbitration and Mediation Center in the Cayman Islands. Megan has a diverse background in both business and law, and I'll let her and Bridget expand on that. And she is admitted in the Cayman Islands, the District of Columbia, Missouri, Wyoming, and is a solicitor in England and Wales. And also on this podcast today, we have uh, Bridget Lehman, who is an up-and-coming international arbitration associate based out of our Reed Smith East Coast offices. So before I kick it off to Bridget, I have to uh, hear Megan settle a very, very important question and dispute, and that is whether it's pronounced Caribbean or Caribbean. Uh, I think that's one that can really go either way. I've always grown up saying Caribbean, but I think it's one of those that with usage over time, people pronounce it however they want to pronounce it. We're very welcoming here in the Caribbean and, and you know, whatever suits you, we're happy with. Perfect. It's funny. I actually, um, I've always grown up saying it Caribbean, so, but I'll take it, take it better from you. So before we kind of started getting into the center itself, I guess I was just curious if you could tell us a little bit more about its founders and, and kind of how the idea for the center came to be. Yeah, absolutely. I guess to start out, thank you so much for having me. I've been an avid listener of Arbitral Insights for a while now, so it's exciting to be here on the podcast, and uh, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. As Daniel, you mentioned, uh, Megan Paget-Brown, I'm currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Cayman International Mediation and Arbitration Center, or CMAC, as we call it. The real vision for having an arbitration center in the Cayman Islands came predominantly from my father, and he is a very experienced Cayman Islands attorney. His name's Ian Patrick Brown. He was actually admitted in the Cayman Islands in 1971 after previously practicing in England and Wales before that. So he has over 50 years of experience in the Cayman Islands and is really recognized as one of the leading experts in for law in Cayman. He was an acting magistrate in the Cayman Islands in 1994, and in 2011, he was the chairman of the Cayman Islands Law Reform Commission, which is a statutory five-year term. So I think his first foray into the arbitration space was, I think it was a AAA arbitration. And so even though the bulk of his practice as a King's counsel has been on the traditional litigation side, and he's a very effective and experienced litigator. He's always been a big proponent of the benefits of alternative dispute resolution and saw that there was a huge opportunity for Cayman to have an arbitration center and 
that would really help it establish itself as a leading financial center internationally as well. If you look at the other jurisdictions, you look at London, you look at Singapore, you look at Hong Kong, they all had arbitration centers. And that was something that Cayman at that time didn't have. So he sort of had this vision. It took uh, some time. I think there was a a period where we sort of expected maybe government was going to step in first and that hadn't come to fruition yet. So in 2017 was really when he started pushing that idea forward and and getting that going. So um, certainly very grateful to him for getting us us kicked off here and, and started. So that was when I came in, got involved. We were in practice uh, together already on the law firm side. I had had a bit of experience and some interest in the arbitration and mediation space with the combination of my legal practice experience and more of the business experience that I had prior to my legal career. I have a business degree from uh, Skidmore College in New York. I had previously worked in some other industries. I worked for a, a winery. I worked in a market research, financial research and intelligence firm for a while. So I'd done a little bit more of the business practice side as well as the legal side and thought we could combine sort of the law, the customer services, the analytical side of things, and um, hopefully establish something that will be very well received and be a great addition to ADR internationally. Awesome. And and I I wanted to talk about one point, I think in um, September of 2021, the ITA launched a Caribbean task force to kind of boost arbitration presence and knowledge in the Caribbean. Do you think that helped? What do you, Did you see that as it was going live? Did any of this kind of, uh, I know it's a lot of questions, but, but I kind of want to see, like, did you see as this was going on? I, I think that that initiative has been very successful. And I think we're still seeing the effects of that. And I, I think there is a, an element of that snowball effect where it takes time for it all to build. But anecdotally, just in my personal experience, I've seen much more interest in arbitration as a dispute resolution option within the Caribbean itself. And also as an extension of that, I think it's raised the profile of the region as well. So speaking to international practitioners, they are much more aware of the infrastructure and the framework and the sort of pro-arbitration, arbitration-friendly regimes within the Caribbean. And so I think through the ITA's work and, and you know, many of the great people that have been involved, I think Barry Leon, uh, Calvin Hamilton, Hannah Dumal, you know, they've, they've all, Shan Greer, Tanya Goddard, you know, they've all been really fantastic at you know, marketing arbitration to the region and then also marketing the region to arbitration practitioners internationally. And I, I think it's, in my opinion, been very successful so far. And I'm excited to see how that momentum continues to build. Great. Moving more specifically into Cayman Island arbitration law, do you find that arbitration laws within the Cayman Islands are, are typically more friendly towards arbitration? Yes, we have a very modern arbitral framework in Cayman. And I think as a jurisdiction, it's gained a reputation of being quite pro-arbitration. 
So in 2012, uh, I want to say it was July 2012, the new Arbitration Act came into force. And that was based on or is based on institutional model law and draws on arbitration laws of other common law jurisdictions, including the United Kingdom. So it's a very modern and familiar framework for an arbitration law that people would recognize and look for even internationally. And there are sort of three main principles that underpin that act. And the first is that disputes should be resolved by an impartial arbitral institution without any undue delay or expense, that there should be increased party autonomy. And so the parties themselves should be free to agree on how their disputes should be resolved and have the flexibility to do so and only be subject to the safeguards that are necessary in the public interest. So it gives a lot more freedom to the parties. And one of the biggest ways I think it moved away from the previous legislation is that the level of judicial supervision was considerably more limited in scope. Um, it was contemplated under the 2012 Act compared to the, the previous law. And we've also had the Grand Court's practice and procedural rules in 2013, which also, I think, just made it an even more modern framework for arbitration seated in, in Cayman. Um, as an overseas territory of the United Kingdom, uh, the Cayman Islands is party to the New York Convention on the recognition and enforcement of foreign arbitral awards. So that makes it much more straightforward to enforce any arbitral awards, even if they are obtained elsewhere, or to have uh, an award from the Cayman Islands enforced else, you know, outside of the jurisdiction. And the Arbitration Act also went even further than the New York Convention and provides that the arbitral award is enforceable irrespective of the country in which it was made. So there is a recognition that it should be binding and upon application to the court will be enforced uh, subject to the provisions of the enforcement law, regardless of whether or not it's a New York Convention award or not. So it makes it easy and efficient for parties to have their awards enforced and also provides a lot of confidence that awards can be enforced in a straightforward and inexpensive way. Well, great. Well, Megan, you know, one, one thing that I wanted to touch on is the Cayman Islands being a hotspot for international business. I know that from our conversation before, you told me that the, you know, that they're already they're already seeing international cases being registered in the CMAC, which is something that's not common in regional arbitrations, at least from my our review of the uh, Latin America and Caribbean institutions. Usually they start off, the regional institutions start off as maybe a big hub for domestic disputes. And then later on, uh, maybe they kind of intermingle with international and that kind of starts taking off. But it looks like the Cayman Islands is a big hub for international business and international disputes. What makes the Cayman Islands, I guess, just a big, is it, is it some of the tax benefits that it provides to companies or what, what makes it just such a great hub for business and finance? Yeah, I think historically, certainly the tax considerations have been a big driver for business in the Cayman Islands, as in many other Caribbean jurisdictions. And of course, that is a, a business consideration in, in many instances. 
But there's a lot more to the region or the jurisdiction than just tax benefits. And I think businesses certainly realize that the Cayman Islands has been recognized for a long time as a major global financial center. There is a wealth of expertise in financial services, financial services disputes in the Cayman Islands. It's a very well-established legal infrastructure. You've got experienced lawyers, experienced judiciary. And it's a very flexible jurisdiction. There uh, is a lot of flexibility in ability to set up companies, the structure of companies. It's a very pro-business jurisdiction in that sense. And then you add in the other advantages that the island has, which is its geographic position. You know, we're something like less than 500 miles south of Miami, so it's very easy to access. There are direct flights from most of the major U.S. airports, you can fly nonstop from London. It's very convenient to get to from South America as well. So it really has a great strength in its convenience. Uh, the time zone is uh, it's Eastern Standard Time year round. So half the year, you maybe have one hour difference from New York, but the rest of the year, you're on the same time zone as New York. And it, it makes it a very attractive jurisdiction for businesses looking for somewhere that they can set up, they can do business, where they also have the confidence that it's a strong democracy, a neutral jurisdiction, it's easily accessible, there is great infrastructure, you know, if you're there and you have meetings, you don't have to worry about different power outages or internet outages and things, you know, it's a very, very modern and comfortable jurisdiction for international companies to to come in and have a presence. So I think that that has all played into what we're really excited about is just the great reception that we've had internationally for CMAC as an arbitral institution. And the, the feedback that I've had has been very much along those lines. And we are very fortunate that we do have a uh, one arbitration already pending under our institutional rules. We have uh, two others maybe for next year that uh, they've made some inquiries about. So that's really exciting for us to see how open parties are to considering us as a jurisdiction. And I think it really speaks to the reputation that Cayman has already within the international business community that's provided a lot of opportunities for the business community in the past. And I think it will provide a lot of opportunities for the arbitral community going forward now as well. Great. Now let's talk a little bit more about the CMAC institution itself. When were you guys able to open up your doors? And is there anything in particular with the CMAC rules that you find particularly appealing? I know that uh, it's a very modern set. Are there any initiatives in there that, you know, you'd really like to highlight things of that nature? Yeah, we finally managed to open in January of 2023, so earlier this year. We did a soft opening in January where we're mostly focused on offering our facilities for rentals for meetings, for ad hoc arbitration, mediation, even arbitration perhaps under other institutional rules that needed physical space to work out of. And we still do and still will offer rooms for those purposes. You don't have to have a CMAC administered arbitration to use our facilities. But then in March of 
March, yes, here's gone fast. March of 2023, we finally were able to put together and release our institutional rules, which were several years in the making. And we wanted to sort of balance what would be expected in an institutional or a set of institutional arbitration rules and what people would see in other institutions and in other jurisdictions, but also think about ways that we could look ahead and ways that we could you know, innovate to an extent and think about which areas that we really felt like we could offer something additional or, or make some, some headway. And so we, we've had a great committee that's been very involved and you've been fantastic at looking at all those things and one of the hot topics, obviously, in arbitration is diversity and diversity initiatives. And so that was one of the areas that we first started looking at within the rules is, you know, what should we be doing? What can we offer in this space? And we wanted to be very aware of what we were putting in and not just put something in for the sake of having the ability to say, oh, we have a diversity clause in our rules. And so there is obviously a balance between having a clause that's completely toothless and then something that's overly prescriptive and makes it impossible or too difficult or alienates um, parties who find it too narrow to work within that space. So it was sort of born out of uh, an ability or a, a desire to balance those two things and, and find something that was going to hopefully take steps in the right direction in that space. And I think where we came down is there was only so much we could do in the rules themselves. And so we do have a diversity clause in there and it is mentioned in the sort of preamble to the rules, but we sort of through developing that set of rules and through developing that clause have been able to partner with a lot of fantastic institutions. And really, I think we're going to be able to focus a lot more on actionable steps and what we can do as an institution to support diversity initiatives and equity and inclusion and not just say the words, but actually have the actions behind it so that we can contribute something to the discussion. So we've got a couple of great events coming up, hopefully uh, sort of end of 2023. There'll be some new announcements about that soon through the Ray Corollary Initiative, I've been able to work with Professor Homer LaRue and Dr. Catherine Simpson and see how we can collaborate and provide opportunities for newer practitioners, diverse practitioners, non-traditional practitioners to have their voice heard and, and support them. And we've also been very fortunate to work with Shan Greer at the BBIAC and Tanya Goddard at the AMCC and a joint initiative that we're trying to get off the ground focusing on diversity. So we're really excited to see how that develops and hopefully we'll have some great you know, announcements for different events and things coming up to the second half of 2023. Wow, that's awesome. Well, so you just kind of uh, went into it, but what would you say the big summary, big points of the future and the goals of the CMAC, in your opinion? I think that we have sort of two, I, I feel like I thought about it as two parallel goals. Ultimately, I think they'll merge together. But in this early phase, on one side, I think our goals need to be about developing the arbitration 
industry or and really the ADR industry, not just limiting it to arbitration within Cayman as a jurisdiction. I think we've got lots of experience across a wide range of industries in Cayman. We have businesses, we've got just a very active and internationally focused community in Cayman. I think that ADR and arbitration will offer a lot of benefits to the region itself and the jurisdiction itself domestically. So as sort of an institution, CMAC itself can help raise awareness for the opportunities and also provide pathways for practitioners in Cayman who want to become more involved in arbitration, whether it's more experienced practitioners who had an arbitration-related practice before they came to the Cayman Islands or younger, newer practitioners who are interested in sort of building up their practice in that way. I think if we can provide a platform for education and promotion, the industry as a whole, that is a big goal of ours. And I'd love to see the arbitration industry in Cayman itself grow significantly over you know, this next several years. And then on the international side of that, I think as an institution, obviously we'd like to promote CMAC as a hub for dispute resolution and eventually reach a point where we're considered you know, one of the go-to institutions for arbitration. So that is as much about promoting Cayman as a jurisdiction, as a very pro-arbitration jurisdiction, and also promoting CMAC as an institution, uh, you know, great administration, great facilities, institutional rules, et cetera. So on one hand, we're promoting sort of arbitration internally. And then on the other hand, we're pr promoting Cayman and their center externally. And so in three, five years, 10 years, you know, hopefully that will all start to merge together and we'll see a very robust practice and a very well-recognized practice internationally for arbitration in Cayman. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for allowing Reed Smith to be part of the doors opening at the CMAC Arbitration Center in the Cayman Islands. And uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you tune in to our next episode of Reed Smith's Arbitral Insights. Thank you very much. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.